Time for this. In in case you're wondering if Donald Fallon has just been appointed to cabinet, no, he's got far better (laughs) things to be congratulated on because, Donald, you got engaged this week, didn't you? (laughs) I did. did. I'm blushing. I'm blushing here. Thank God we're not on television. No, you're going to have to tell us the full story now that we've spilled the beans for you. <laughs> In the very romantic surroundings of uh, of St. Stephen's Green, I, I finally finally did it. So ah. It was a lovely day and it didn't rain. and The weather's been a bit up and down uh, this weekend. It's a real pity for so many people with pride, the poor weather, but uh, mm. I, got a lovely, I got a lovely day of sunshine. Wonderful, excellent. Well, congratulations to yourself <laughs> and to the lovely Sarah, who is always so generous to lend us her Skype so we can talk to you at this time every week. So uh, congratulations to you. you know, many happy returns and hopefully we'll, we'll be able to, to raise a jar in Grogan soon to, to mark the union. But in the meantime, we're going to get back to, to ordinary business and you've picked a, a really, really fascinating one this week, actually. And I, I did not know this story at all, but this is a, it's a, a really, really interesting one. Um, obviously, we're looking at about a century since the, the War of Independence and everything that followed that as well. But we're going to talk today about a guy called General Cuthbert Lucas, who was one of the most high-profile British figures around the time, uh, was kidnapped by the IRA during the War of Independence. But you'd think that, right, that's a story that's going to end with execution and everything else. No, it actually ends with him befriending his captors, uh, getting involved in tennis and a daily allowance of whiskey, uh, enjoying card <laughs> games with the IRA, and then still all the while maintaining communication with his wife, who must have felt fairly sidelined by the whole thing, which it's, it's a fascinating story and Lucas is he was fairly high up in the British military world at the time he was Lucas said that he was treated like a gentleman by gentleman which is a, a great review of, of, of the IRA and you know the story of General Lucas it's a really curious human story you know and there's great human stories in the War of Independence but this is maybe the best of them uh, and it's only really come to public knowledge now around the centenary because his letters from captivity uh, have been published okay. his, his, his granddaughter bought, brought them to public attention uh, and the Antiques Roadshow to their shame valued these letters at around £5,000 now I think they're absolutely priceless but Lucas is kidnapped on the 26th of June 1920 at the time when his wife in England is very heavily pregnant and the kind of story of Lucas being taken by the IRA is this massive international tale he's the highest ranking British officer kidnapped mm. by the IRA in the entire revolution and period. all of this kicks off obviously not only at a peak time in the revolution but also at a time when things around the world are beginning to heat up a bit as well oh definitely by the summer of 1920 I mean the, the Irish revolution is very much on you know we're, we're at war and to be honest I mean the previous year we're, we're all taught in school that the war of independence began in 1919 it was relatively quiet I mean the Spanish flu was considerably more likely to kill a British soldier than the IRA mm. in 1919. But by, by the summer of 1920, things are are very, very different. And this is such, such a big story. I mean, you know it's a big story in Ireland when the songs appear. Ah. And the popular song joked, can anybody tell me where the General Lucas go? He may be down in Mitchellstown or over in Mallow. He's somewhere in the County Cork, but this I want to know. Can anybody tell me where the General Lucas go? <laughs> uh, and uh, General Lucas had been everywhere, whether it was Mitchellstown or Mallow or where he was. He, he had been all over the world uh, and he was a fairly he, decorated soldier. He, 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 you know, more more medals than he had space to wear, this guy. I mean, he'd fought the Boers in South Africa. He'd been promoted to lieutenant during the Boer War. He'd fought at Gallipoli in the Great War. And then a war hero he'd married in 1917. And at the time, he's sent to Ireland then. He's made commander of the forces of Fermoy Barracks. I mean, his partner is, is, is heavily, heavily pregnant. So it was a very interesting time uh, in his own life when he finds himself chucked into the Irish Revolution. Hmm. And brilliantly, I mean, he's a very keen fisherman and he actually indulges this hobby while he's, while he's here. But when you're up against a guerrilla army like the IRA, I mean, these weaknesses are spotted because it's an army that doesn't wear uniform for the most part. It has eyes and ears everywhere uh, in a community. And someone like this guy, General Lucas, going fishing on a regular basis was always going to be spotted. 
So together with two of his kind of staff officers taken by the IRA as they enjoyed a, a fishing trip. And amazingly, he picked up Arabic from his time in the British Army. And he tells the other two lads that he's with, you know, go for it, make a run for it, make a break for it. And they go and the IRA end up with Lucas uh, on his own and they'd hold him for 34 remarkable days. So you mentioned that uh, the IRA is a guerrilla army at the time. It's a little bit disorganised. It doesn't have the same purely regimented structure as others. Um, and some were worried that an organisation like that were, were making themselves very vulnerable by having such a high profile prisoner. There's total unease of having this guy, someone of, the, of this calibre, because, I mean, they believe at first, oh, brilliant, we can use Lucas to barter for, for our own. Uh, prisoners, but in the kind of upper echelons of, of British politics so in Westminster, you know, people like Winston Churchill are absolutely furious and, and they make it clear, you know, there's not going to be any negotiating with the IRA when it comes to this. And that's kind of still British policy even today mm. uh, when these kind of events happen across the world. So the IRA have this, you know, enormous high profile prisoner and they're moving him across kind of West Limerick, East Clare, trying to keep him out of Cork where they reckon the British might think uh, he is. And he's brought on this kind of constant journey from from home to home, safe house to safe house. And if you're an IRA volunteer and you have this guy, I mean, you have to talk to him, really. What else What else are you going to do? And and early on, I mean, the ice starts to thaw. And there's this great story, Joe Good, who's a, a 1916 veteran. He remembered that during one conversation, Lucas was looking down into the valley from a hill. It was a beautiful view. We could see a number of counties from where we were. And he said, this is a country worth fighting for. So it's not wow. a rank and file Tommy or some kind of rogue black and tan that you picked up stumbling home from, from the pub. And the questions abound in the IRA. You know, how do you treat someone when you've captured a general like this? How are you meant to treat them during a war? Um, was the news of his captivity, was, was it uh, widely distributed? Did many people care outside of the local circles? Front, front page of the New York Times, you know, ah. where has this guy gone? And the New York Times says the general has vanished completely. The affair has created a sensation in military circles. And it seems like every British soldier in Munster is, is out looking for the guy. And Winston Churchill, the great political deflector, you know, Winston Churchill basically tries to blame Lucas himself and says <laughs> it was extremely thoughtless on the part of the officer to while away the monotony of existence by indulging in sport. In other words, you know, if he hadn't gone, uh, if he hadn't gone fishing, he'd, he'd be safe and well in the barracks. Uh, I don't know. I think there's a lot of people who are tuning in around now to try and catch off the ball later on who will think that the whiling away the monotony of existence by indulging in sport <laughs> is is exactly how you're supposed to spend your free time. So I don't know if Churchill's going to endear himself <laughs> w- with comments like that. Um, we mentioned w- one of the more uh, remarkable bits about his interaction with the IRA, something about the you know, the rules of war, that he insisted on getting a daily bottle of whiskey. Yeah, well, I suppose he knows more about these things than, than the, the, the IRA rank and file do. Often very, very young men, you know, in their, in their 20s even or their late teens. Uh, and Lucas starts making these mad demands and he demands that because of his rank under the rules of war as a prisoner of war he says he's entitled to a bottle of whiskey so this discussion opens up the IRA how do we get this guy a bottle of whiskey weekly and he says no I'm entitled to a daily bottle of whiskey and one of the kidnappers Michael Brennan says General Lucas was an expensive luxury as he drank a bottle of whiskey every day which I hated like hell uh, to pay for sure but they take this big pity on him uh, on one level Brennan and others because I think because of you know his wife being so heavily pregnant so they allow him to maintain conversation with her to, through the whole length of the ordeal he writes to her at you know their address in England and she writes back but all her letters are just addressed to her husband care of the IRA and no matter where they moved them to on that particular day they arrive. Sorry, so, so this is like, you know, when you see those pictures going viral when somebody sends a letter to like, oh, Paul Meskel, Kildare, Ireland, and it still manages to find its way to yeah, his house. There, he just writes to like... a great one? The, the, the fellow with the college degree, some town in Donegal. Yeah. And, and it got <laughs> so, but, so this guy, she sends a letter to Cuthbert Lucas, care of the IRA, and it still manages to find its way to wherever he is. 
and it gets there. And what I love about that is it, it says a lot about the revolutionary period because, I mean, that, that involves a certain relationship between the IRA and, and the Postal Service, you know, the postmen who have enough yeah. faith and trust in, in each other. And they always get to him unopened. So I think he, he develops this great trust in these men because they're giving him his letters as they come from his wife. And then he sends a letter to the, to the Times newspaper saying, I am well and considerably treated. They're doing all they possibly can to provide me with everything I want. <laughs> so in other words, the IRA, they're a great bunch of lads because they're keeping me well and they've got my whiskey and everything is great. Um, holding him though, aside from the, the cost of, of supplying his daily whiskey habit, holding him ended up being a little bit more hassle than it was worth. Absolutely, because I mean, you're unable to do anything really. Operations are basically restricted entirely in any area where you have Lucas and you've got the full force of the kind of British military being utilised to try and find their man. So I think it became kind of increasingly clear that if the British weren't going to be open to any kind of prisoner swap, what do you do with Lucas? And eventually the, the decision that's made, they play a nightly game of bridge against them and he's, he's too good by all accounts. But they decide that, you know, and on other occasions they apparently went fishing with him and everything, which is just mad. But they decide that they're going to loosen the guard against him on a certain night, make him aware of this and kind of just allow him to leave Okay. Uh, captivity. Now he had faith in them because I mean I think some people would presume if you were told such a thing you'd be you'd be shot in the back as you made a run for it. Yeah. But two o'clock, the thirtieth of July, Lucas basically just walks away from from IRA just, captivity. He flees on schedule. He, he flees on schedule and madly he makes his way to it. This is the, the weirdest bit of the story. He arrives at a, at a police station, an RIC station, uh, and then they transfer him in an, an army patrol. And that army patrol comes under IRA attack. <laughs> so, so he's literally been freed by one group of IRA volunteers and accidentally kind of wandered into the firing line uh, of another. But he, he escaped that ambush with minor injuries. But I mean, that, that there's bad luck and then there's there's that kind of luck. Yeah. Uh, some in British politics, you mentioned that he was even writing letters to the Times of London to say that he was very well kept. And there were a lot of then people in Britain who were furious, obviously, not only with the IRA for kidnapping the guy in the first place, but also with Lucas for being so publicly warm to Towards his captors. Absolutely, because I mean, there's this over romanticization, the good old IRA. I mean, there were horrific things done, you know, in Ireland. I mean, the bodies of people who were accused of being spies and informers were just dumped on street corners. I mean, there, there were awful things happening in Ireland carried out by the IRA. So there is tremendous pressure on Lucas to, to condemn his captors, but he refuses to. And I mean, Tom Toomey, who's one of the big local historians uh, down that part of the country, has said that the, the odd thing about it is that he knew every house he stayed in because they're moving through safe houses. You know, mm. families would have put him up, would have fed him, would have fed his captors. And none of the houses were ever uh, raided. And Tom went on to say, over my 20 years researching him, I never heard one bad word said against him. So that's you know the IRA talking about Lucas uh, in latter years. But I mean, people like Churchill were, were furious. That, that famous praise that I was treated like a gentleman by gentlemen, that absolutely infuriated Winston Churchill. You mentioned that a lot of this has only come to prominence now because his granddaughter has dug out the letters and is uh, making them available for the world to see. Ruth Wheeler, yeah, who brought them along to the Antiques Roadshow. And as I said at the start, 5,000, I think that was a terrible, terrible undervaluation of the letters. Mm. But she said, my grandfather was a man of honour who didn't flinch from saying what he thought. He knew he risked being court-martialed for saying uh, that he was being held by, the, quote, delightful people, <laughs> but spoke out anyway. And I think, you know, bringing those letters forward now for the St. Henry, they are one of the one of the great kind of human stories that we have uh, of the conflict. Yeah, and maybe with the centenary and with uh, Michael Portillo now doing that documentary series on RT about the British view of, of the Irish conflict, maybe it's the sort of thing that might be, get a little bit more prominence across the water and maybe then its value might might increase a little bit more uh, as a result. Um, mentioned uh, briefly some of his captors uh, because some of them went on to become quite prominent themselves. 
Yeah, it's a big day today for, for lots of talk about Fianna Fáil on, on, on the radio. You know, perhaps the most immediately recognisable of, of the captors was a guy called Sean Moylan, later Fianna Fáil TD. Uh, he was elected in 32, you know, when, when Fianna Fáil came to power. But he had an amazing long career, Minister for Education, 51 to 54, appointed to the Shannon in 57. And then amazingly appointed to the cabinet. He was the first senator to be appointed to a, ah, a, a really? government ministry. An incredible okay. life, Sean Moylan. Uh, he died in 1957. So, I mean, he went on to live an incredible life in, in, in Dáil Éireann. And Lucas died uh, the following year. So, you know, remarkable things happened to, to, to men on, on both sides of the story. Well, if the likes of a British general and uh, an IRA man can end up being very pally, then maybe the, the omens are good for Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael being able to bury the hatchet in Cabinet. But we'll, we'll wait and see and see exactly how many bottles of whiskey might be needed for that one. Uh, in the meantime, uh, Donald, as ever, thank you for that really, really yeah, it's genuinely... All, it's all bottles of Prosecco and Champagne around here these days. I don't know if they could say that in Leinster House, but maybe maybe under the radar. Uh, Donald, as ever... Thank you very much. Donald Fallon is a historian. He is the author of the Khmer to be book and he's the presenter of the Three Castles Burning podcast, which you'll find uh, on the internet. That is all we've got time for today. Big thank you to everyone who has texted or tweeted or simply tuned in. We've really enjoyed your company. We'll hope you have you back next Sunday morning at 11 o'clock from myself, Gavin Riley, and producer Stephen Jordan. Thanks very much for listening alongside uh, our sound man today, Jojo Cardoza. Uh, we don't have time to play out with um, You'll Never Walk Alone, unfortunately. We're just, we're, we're totally up against it. And no doubt you've probably heard it 20 times already. Sorry, 19 times uh, already this week. So uh, I'm afraid we're out of time. Off the ball is next. Goodbye.